This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, as you know, I like Bible verse plaques. You've been to my house, you know. I have over 30 Bible verse plaques all over my house. And when Daniels came, he said, you're missing a port one. So he bought one for me. <laughs> so I got 31. <laughs> anyway, so in that labor room, I put a verse on the wall in that room. Then I put, I put that verse I just talked about, First John 1, 9. And then I put another verse in there like 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I put a lot of Bible verses on those walls there. I put the verse in there from, so David said in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit within me. I put Proverbs 30.12, Proverbs 30.12. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. I put Psalm 119.9 in there, Psalm 119.9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. I put Isaiah 116 in there, Isaiah 116. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. I put Ezekiel 18.31, Ezekiel 18.31. Cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed. Make you a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I put Ezekiel 36.25, Ezekiel 36.25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. I put Isaiah 118 in there. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. 
Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I'd put New Testament verses in there like Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. I put James 4.8, James 4.8 up there. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I put 1 Peter 1.22, 1 Peter 1.22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And 1 John 1.7, backing up a couple of verses from 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I have a lot of verses of 1 John. I'd keep 1 John 3, 3 in there. 1 John 3, 3. Every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4, 14. Jeremiah 4, 14. O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long will your vain thoughts be within thee? I have to stop there because there's no more room on the walls. <laughs> but, but there's many more, like Zechariah, the, the, the fountain that's open for sin and uncleanness. But the point with all this is that if we had a labor room, that when we come in from the world, that we got to go there because we've been polluted, and we are polluting. And when we arrive home, we first go in there, and we first see these verses, you know, and, then, and, and I, there's no more room on the wall, so I guess I'll put this on the door. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, John 15, 3, John 15, 3. John 17, 17, 17, 17, sanctify, that means make you clean. Sanctify, make them clean. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And Ephesians 5, 25, Ephesians 5, 25 Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. So the home is a place of rest if it's kept pure from the moral pollution that we wash off when we come home by reading the word of God and confessing to God sins. That's just not passive. That's active. That's something that has to be fought for. You know, just drift into that. Now, the second threat against purity in the home unfortunately, it has come to us in our day through technology. 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 First it was radio, then it was television, now it's internet. Those are Trojan horses. Those are Trojan horses that the devil can use very easily to send in the moral pollution from the world and destroy the home from within. We have to be very careful to guard the purity of the homes by what we listen to, by what we watch, by what comes right into our homes through cable and airwaves. Now, Naomi said that the home should be a place of rest. And a home is a place of rest if the home is a place where God is happy to be. God is happy to be. You know, the home of Lazarus was a place that the Lord Jesus Christ was happy to be there. He loved to go there. And our homes will be a place of rest if the Lord Jesus Christ loves to be there. God is happy to be in a home when a home is a place where God's Bible is read and meditated on. God is happy to be in a home when a home is a place where music is God-honoring and not this loud, assaulting, tense music with lyrics that are polluting. God is happy to be in a home when a home is a place of prayer. When prayer that thanks God for all that he's done is made, when prayer that worships God 
for who he is is made, when prayer that relies on God for the problems of life, the problems in the home, the problems of the family, prayer that trusts God for the unknown future, what's going to happen, prayer for each member of the household where each person is loved individually and each person is appreciated for who he is individually and each person is listened to individually and each person is prayed for individually. That's a home, that's a place of rest. That's a home where everyone is accepted and loved. That's a home that trusts in the Lord and has been, you might say, it's been tented and fumigated (laughs) from all the destruction of the tension and anxiety that's in the world. That's the kind of home that God enters into, and he says, oh, I'm just happy to be here. That's a home that's a place of rest. That's a home where God is trusted. That's a home where hope is centered in God. It's a home that's a place of rest, and it's a happy home. It's described in Psalm 146.5, Psalm 146.5. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, verse 14 starts off, and it says, and she lay at his feet until morning. This shows something very significant about Ruth. I mean, this whole thing that's happening here is making Ruth very, very anxious, very, very tense. Everything about this that she's hearing is a very, very tense situation. So in the first place, Ruth did not want, she didn't want to leave Naomi. She didn't want to go to the threshing floor at night to meet Boaz. She didn't want to ask Boaz to marry her. And she only did it because Naomi pushed her into it. But Naomi knew Boaz. She knew that. And she knew that Boaz would agree to become her husband. So this was already very nerve-wracking for Ruth. But now, verse 12 comes as an unexpected bombshell in the middle of the whole thing, nobody saw this coming. When it says in verse 12, when Boaz said, now it's true, I am thy near kinsman, albeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. So in verse 12, Ruth has learned that she may be marrying some person she doesn't even know. That's tense. So, I mean, Ruth has gone from not wanting to marry anyone just to stay with Naomi to a state of fear of maybe marrying Boaz to a state of terror of maybe marrying someone she doesn't even know. So you can see all this fear and this terror in verse 11 when Boaz says to Ruth, and now my daughter, fear not. So Boaz wanted Ruth to just be calm. And so he says to her at the beginning, you know, in verse 13, tarry this night. And then Boaz repeated his call for Ruth to just be calm. In verse 13, lie down until the morning, lie down until the morning. We can imagine Ruth's struggle. How can I just lie down? I'm in a state of absolute terror. But these are the first words in verse 14 are very, very important. That's why I say this in verse 14. She lay at his feet until the morning. That showed Ruth completely trusting Boaz. Clearly, Boaz had the opportunity to take advantage of Ruth. But Boaz guarded both his purity and Ruth's purity, as well as his reputation and Ruth's reputation. And so it says there in verse 14, she laid his feet until the morning. She rose up before one could know anything. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Now there's something else that's going on here in Boaz's instruction. He says, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Boaz is beautiful here. 
He is beautifully protecting their mutual reputations. But there's something else that Boaz is doing here that's really, really beautiful. Clearly, Boaz loves Ruth. And he wants very much to have her to be his wife, especially she has, in essence, asked him to marry her. But there's something that Boaz loves more than Ruth. You know what that is? Boaz loves God more than Ruth. That's not trite. That's very significant. Boaz loves God more than Ruth. There's something that Boaz wants more than Ruth. Boaz wants the will of God more than he wants Ruth. Boaz only wants Ruth if that is God's will for Boaz. Boaz wants the will of God more than Boaz wants Ruth. And the beauty here is that we see Boaz is not saying, I don't care what the will of God is, I want Ruth. And we should never say that. Should never say, I don't care what the will of God is, I want blah, blah, blah. No, never. Here is what Boaz is saying that he wants. He wants the will of God more than Ruth. Clearly, as I mentioned, Boaz wants Ruth. Ruth wants Boaz. Okay. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Verse 12, there's a kinsman nearer than I. Okay. Boaz wants Ruth. Ruth wants Boaz. But there's a person, one person standing in between Boaz and Ruth, and it's this nearer kinsman. This, near, this kinsman is nearer than Boaz. Now, Boaz, now here's the thing. Boaz, he's got an opportunity here to insert influence into this situation. He's got, you know, just a little kick when no one's looking, push the ball in my direction, you know. Boaz can play just a little trick now to guarantee that Ruth becomes his and not this other man's. Boaz has got an opportunity to influence that would remove this problem person standing in between himself and Ruth. And Boaz knows this. If it becomes known that Ruth was with Boaz overnight, it might influence, it would influence the decision of this other kinsman redeemer to say, I don't want it. If it was known that Ruth had spent the night with Boaz, then that would prejudice that other man that he would say, she's damaged goods, I don't want her. Boaz wanted the will of God more than he wanted Ruth. And Boaz realized that if God wanted Ruth to be his wife, then God could work in the heart of this other man to refuse Ruth without him making an influence. Boaz did not want to have any influence over that man's decision. Boaz wanted that man to make his free decision and not be influenced by the knowledge that Ruth was with Boaz overnight. So in that way, Boaz guaranteed that the other man's decision was going to be 100% from the Lord and not in any way influenced by the fact that Ruth was with Boaz overnight. So that's the underlying reason why Boaz gave the strong instruction to Ruth in verse 14, and he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And that's how Boaz, who was in love with Ruth, could say in verse 13, tarry this night, it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the part of kinsman's part. That's how Boaz could say to Ruth, whom he loved, if he takes you for his wife, well, how could it be well? How can it be well for a man to love with her? Because it's well, because the wellness of God is always better well than our will. 
And what kept Boaz from the destruction and the tension of the situation of, you know, am I going to get Ruth? Am I not going to get Ruth? Were his simple words in verse 13, three words, the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth. God is alive. God is not dead. He loves, he cares. His will is best. Now, we see Boaz now do something very strange. He looks at the veil that Ruth has, and he asks her, bring it to him, hold it out, in verse 15. And he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, laid it on her, and she went into the city. What's this all about? What's this all about, about putting out the the barley in the veil? You know, this is very significant. There's a significance to this barley gift, and we get it two verses later in verse 17 as the conversation is going on between Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth says to Naomi in verse 17, she said, these six measures of barley gave me me, for he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Oh, (laughs) so we see Boaz gives the barley gift to Ruth, and Boaz is saying to Ruth, it's for Naomi. It's for Naomi. You see, you know, he's sending the barley to Naomi. Naomi. So the barley gift is a message to Ruth's mother-in-law, to Naomi. Well, what was he saying with this barley? He's saying, you know, Boaz is saying to, with the barley gift, he said, Naomi, I know you're behind all this. <laughs> I know you're behind Ruth coming to me tonight. Naomi, you and I have known each other too long for me to not see you behind all this about you pushing Ruth to me. Well, Naomi, I got a message for you about you sending Ruth to me to become my wife. And this barley is my message to you. And my message to you, Naomi, is I appreciate it. (laughs) He says, I appreciate that you send her to become my wife. I'm grateful to you that you send her to become my wife. And the six measures of barley is a gift from Boaz to Naomi. Ruth's got nothing to do with it. She's just carrying it. (laughs) And Boaz is expressing his appreciation and his gratitude to Naomi for, his, for her self-sacrificing and thoughtful love to be willing to part with Ruth so that she could have a home of rest and Boaz could have Ruth to be his wife. This is what's going on with the barley gift from Boaz to Naomi. It's a gift of appreciation. It's a gift of, of gratitude from Boaz to Naomi. Aren't you amazed that I'm getting all these names straight? I'm amazed at myself that I'm getting all these names straight. Boaz, Naomi, Ruth, it's not easy, I'll tell you. All right, but anyway, now we see that Ruth, she's now returning home, and Naomi greets Ruth in verse 16. So here's the greeting. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? She told her all the man had done to her. Now, you might be surprised at a question like, Who are you? You know, I mean, uh, it's like, you know, you're thinking, well, it must really be dark outside. You can't, it's, can't see what this is, you know. Who are you? No. Who is it? No, that's not what's going on. See, that's not the case at all. Because you can see, if you look at Naomi's full question, she said, who art thou, my daughter? She knows who it is. Naomi knows this is Ruth because she calls her my daughter. Who art thou, my daughter? She knows it's Ruth. So that leaves the question, well, why would she ask a question like that? Who art thou, my daughter? The answer to the question as to what Naomi was asking comes from, you know, when she says, who art thou, my daughter? It's seen in Ruth's response to her. And the response is that, verse 16, and she told her all that the man had done to her. Who art thou? She told her all the man had done to her. 
See, when Naomi asked Ruth, who art thou? Naomi is asking Ruth, what did the man do to you? <laughs> did he make you his engaged bride? <laughs> who are you? Are you, are you Mrs. Boaz to be? You know, are you, are you engaged to Boaz? Right, you know, and that's what Naomi is asking Ruth here when she says, you know, who art thou, my daughter? Then in the next verse, Ruth is telling Naomi about the six measures of barley that, that, that Boaz has sent to Naomi by the hand of Ruth. And by the way, that's about 10 gallons of barley. So that, that's a pretty considerable amount. You know, they made stronger women in those days, I guess. That's a, that's a lot there. That's excellent. 10 gallons. 10 gallons of barley. Okay, that's what it is. And it's a gift. It's a gift. You got I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said getting myself in more trouble at the end of the line. So have you ever thought, have you ever thought that the way we give to the Lord Jesus is by giving to his people? You ever thought of that? The way we give to the Lord Jesus, you know, you can't take money. Yeah, that's what the one person said, you know. He said, I, I wanted to give to the Lord Jesus. I threw it up the air. He sent it back. It came back down to me. You know? so, <laughs> that's not the way it works. <laughs> the way we give, to the Lord Jesus as we give to his people. Now, Naomi now gives to Ruth a great advice, great advice in verse 18 here. Then said she, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be at rest until he have finished the thing this day. Now, Naomi knows sitting still was not high on the list. Sitting still is not easy for Ruth. Naomi added these words of tender love, my daughter, as if to say, what I'm telling you, Ruth, comes from nothing else in me but a heart of love and concern for you. Sit still. Now, first, let's be clear as to what Naomi was saying when she said sit still. She's saying, just sit still. <laughs> She's saying, don't give in to a restless anxiety. Don't start taking other steps in this matter. Just wait. Set your heart at ease. You know, this last week, I had this remote control for some lights and it stopped working. And I opened it up and I found out why, because the batteries inside leaked corrosive acid all over the whole thing. Had to get another one. And, you know, that picture, I was thinking, I was looking at that picture of those batteries. I was thinking, you know, that's a picture of us. When we let anxiety take over, we burst out with corrosion and things are destroyed. And what Naomi was saying to Ruth was that Ruth could, could sit still because God was on his throne and all's going to be well. Because the hand of the Almighty God is good and sweet. This is what Naomi is saying. The hand of the Almighty is good and sweet. This is so opposite of the Ruth we knew from chapter 1. When she believed that the hand of the Almighty was bitter and against her, Ruth 120, Ruth 120, when back then she said, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the hand, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord had brought me in home again empty. Then why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me. See, when Naomi came back into Bethlehem, Naomi had one message. It was bitterness. She said that God had done dealt very bitterly with me. And now Naomi is saying to Ruth, just sit still because God's going to deal very sweetly. Sitting still has a basis. And it's not, well, I'm going to sit still because I hope it'd be lucky. We don't have an Irish God. Right? <laughs> we don't have an Irish God. We have an almighty God, not an Irish God. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.